Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok, and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Garrett, do people laugh when you say you just wrote a book about UFOs? Everyone laughs and then they very quickly lean in because everyone is interested in this subject and doesn't really want to let on that they are, but everyone <laughs> wants to talk about it. That's Garrett Graff. He's the author of books about Watergate, September 11, and numerous other topics. His latest book is titled UFO, the inside story of the U.S. government's search for alien life here and out there. He's also a contributor to Wired and CNN. And I'm Brian Stelter. Let me welcome you to Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. This week, we're going way inside the hunt for extraterrestrial life. Garrett, you've been working on this uh, for, for quite some time. And I know you didn't come up with any easy, simple answer to the big question. But do you feel like there is some answer out there? <laughs> yes. And, and I think one of the things that I end up with, uh, um, as I sort of talk about what I think at the end of the day, UFOs and UAPs actually are. U UFO is, of course, sort of the old term that the government used to use. UAPs is the new one. What does it mean? Unidentified what? It's, it's unidentified anomalous phenomenon. Um, right. And it's meant to help destigmatize the conversation around this subject, but also to make sort of two distinctions from UFOs. One, that not all of these things are flying. Some of the, there are some unidentified uh, marine swimming submarine type objects that fall into this category. Um, and then there are also not all objects that some of this is uh, phenomenon, uh, not necessarily sort of a solid physical object, mm. but that this is a subject that actually I think we should be much more serious about as a society and that there are a lot of interesting and important answers to be learned and gleaned here that could stop well short of saying, yes, these are extraterrestrials in UFOs and flying saucers visiting Earth from Alpha Centauri. Hmm. Some people in government are taking it seriously. Uh, in fact, it was a quote from John Brennan uh, that started to get your head uh, around this topic. Can you tell us about John Brennan and what he said? Yeah, there was this wave of reporting in 2017 by the New York Times and Politico uh, announcing and sort of breaking that uh, there had been a larger secret Pentagon study of this subject actually backed by then U.S. Senator Harry Reid. But what got me interested in this 
was in uh, an interview that John Brennan uh, gave in 2020. John Brennan, of course, the former CIA director, a, a career, lifelong, well-respected intelligence officer. I think some of the phenomena we're going to be seeing uh, uh, it continues to be um, unexplained and um, might, in fact, be some type of phenomenon that is the result of something that um, we don't yet understand and that could involve some type of um, activity that uh, some might uh, say uh, constitutes a, a, a different form of life. So it sounds like he's, he's, he's kind of tortured in the way he's admitting it, but he's saying there's something going on that we can't explain. Exactly. And, and you know, I, I've covered John Brennan. I've interviewed John Brennan. He's a serious guy. And I figured there are, are probably not too many things that puzzle John Brennan. <laughs> when he wakes up in the morning and has a question, you know, there are tens of thousands of intelligence officers and analysts and surveillance networks and signals intelligence intercepts and satellite surveillance systems that uh, are tasked with answering any question that he has. And so for John Brennan to say, yeah, there's something puzzling and weird out there that I don't really understand that we should be paying more attention to. I was like, aha, this sounds like something that is worthy of some serious study, some serious examination, and sort of likely worthy of a book. And so I spent the last two years really diving into this, trying to trace back this 80-year history back to the, the dawning of the modern flying saucer age in the wake of World War II and trying to weave together what are traditionally sort of two separate threads, sort of the U.S. military's hunt for UFOs here on Earth and then the evolving scientific and astronomical search for life across the universe, so sort of in the, the possibility of life, habitable planets, uh, and the possibility of intelligent life elsewhere in the universe. On that first front, you can't really separate this stuff from the Cold War era, from the 50s, from the post-World War II era, right? Yeah, and that to me it was part of what was so interesting about this, this whole subject. I mean, this at, at one level is... Yes, the story of aliens, the stories of, of extraterrestrials, of UFOs, intelligent life out there in the universe. Mostly, this is actually a story about us. Mostly, this is a story about humans and U.S. politics and geopolitics and this like very deep fundamental question. I mean, in some ways, the most fundamental question of human existence which is where do we fit in the universe? Um, you know, are we alone? And I, I quote um, Philip Morrison, who's one of the founders of the search for extraterrestrial intelligence in, in the introduction of the book, saying, you know, either we are alone in the universe or we're not. And either answer, frankly, boggles the mind. <laughs> yes, it does. And I'll share where I'm coming from. I want to believe. I, I am convinced we're not alone, but I am sometimes afraid to admit that, you know, kind of sounds kooky, might sound crazy. So how did you come up against that in your reporting? I mean, you're having to interview people who you know claim they've been abducted or or you're, you're, you're thinking through, you know, all of these 
maybe untrustworthy narrators. <laughs> yeah, and, and and it's a real challenge in the book because you know this whole book really hinges on the question of at the heart of all of these UFO sightings is there something or nothing? Right. There's almost certainly intelligent life out there. Um, and, and in fact, it's highly possible that life is not that uncommon across so it's not, the universe. So it's not kooky. I'm not crazy, Garrett. Thank you're you. not kooky. And, and I think that, <laughs> you know, that's a part of the reason why so many people are so interested in this. This sort of core question of science and astronomy ends up actually being a very spiritual question because <laughs> it ends up uh, you know really bumping up against the questions of you know uh, what you believe what you know is there a god what does god look like what does god mean uh, you know how how do you sort of mark life and intelligent life on other planets and think about it um and i think that i end up somewhere in the realm of there's almost certainly life elsewhere almost certainly intelligent life elsewhere i'm much less convinced that it's close enough to uh, that we will ever have meaningful contact with with it i mean one of the things that actually you come to understand as you get into the science of this mm -hmm. is how young our own solar system actually is. You know, the universe 14 billion years old, our, our sun, our star, our solar system, only about 4 billion years old. Um, and so, you know, there's the possibility that you could have had, you know, billion year advanced civilizations in our solar system. I mean, I mean, things far more advanced than we could possibly fathom that we've actually missed by billions of years, you know, wow. that have sort of risen and come and gone, you know, before, you know, the first, you know, microbial life ever appeared on the planet earth. That gets into the, the theory that every civilization advanced enough to find another will wipe itself out. Right. Yes. Hollywood loves the contact narratives, right? You know, they love the, you know, alien invasions or the benevolent appearances of extraterrestrials. Um, we're probably never going to get a moment like that. When we learn of other civilizations, the thing that we're probably going to see is the equivalent of a empty plastic bag blowing through our solar system what? from a, a, you know, civilization far, far away that we will never be able to contact and that may be millions or billions of years dead and gone. Um, that, you know, we're, we're much less likely to get a visit from a spaceship than we are to encounter uh, or come across you know, what is basically extraterrestrial trash blowing <laughs> through our solar system. All right. So what is the U.S. government covering up about UFOs? That question with Garrett Graff in just a minute. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations 
sparking movements and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices, and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th. So Garrett, listen to this clip from the 1950s, one of many sightings from that time of flying saucers. Airline pilots with thousands of hours experience have reported saucers coming within a few hundred feet of their planes, matching speed briefly, and then darting off at supersonic speed, leaving a glowing exhaust trail. Student pilot Arthur Weisberger reports on his experience. My name is Arthur Weisberger. On uh, July 21st in Tucson, Arizona, while out of my backyard, three shiny objects in the sky attracted my attention. I glanced up and there were three flying saucers in a V. Approximately a half a mile away from me at an altitude of 350 feet. So Garrett, these kind of so-called classic UFO encounter stories, what, what are they? What, what did Arthur witness that day? So we don't really know. Um, and, and that's one of the real challenges of a lot of these UFO sightings. And what what we sort of come to understand is the the Pentagon ran uh, a series of programs um, from the 1940s to the 1960s. And it was a team of Air Force intelligence officers whose job it was working with astronomers to sort of go out and try to document and solve these uh, flying saucer reportings um, and and then later what they actually called UFOs. Um, UFO was actually uh, amusingly the term that the Air Force started to popularize as a way to destigmatize the giggle factor of calling these things flying saucers. Now, of course, the government has had to come out and rebrand it as UAPs (laughs) in order to destigmatize and reduce the giggle factor of talking about UFOs. Um, And what they found was that the vast majority of these sightings are pretty explainable. Um, a, a huge chunk of this the saucer sightings, the UFO sightings of the 1950s, more than half, actually, we believe, uh, were the U-2 spy plane that w- w- was very much a UFO. It was a unidentified object <laughs> in the sky Fine. that didn't look like a known plane that was flying right. at an altitude that planes were not known to fly at at speeds that planes were not known to fly. Um, in the years since we have, um, you know, come to understand that some chunk of UFO sightings were, you know, the early tests of the SR 71 Blackbird or the A 12 ox cart or the, the stealth fighter or the stealth bomber in the 1970s and 1980s. Um, and, and surely some chunk of today's UAP sightings are, you know, our government's own, you know, secret technology. Or China's. Well, yeah. And that 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 I treat a little bit separately, um, which we can talk about as a, as a slightly separate category. But 
some chunk of these sightings across 80 years, very consistently, and the number varies um, between 5% and 20% over the last 80 years, sort of depending on which data set you're looking at. But some chunk are truly unexplainable by the U.S. government based on known aircraft, known physics, known meteorological, astronomical, and atmospheric phenomenon. That framing, though, that presumes the government wants to explain it, right? Wants us to know. I mean, you say in the book, you do believe the U.S. government is covering up some knowledge and some understanding about some UFOs. So what do you feel like you learned about the extent of that government cover? Yeah. Um, So there absolutely is a U.S. government cover-up of UFOs. Full stop, period. There are several sort of layers of cover-up that are obvious and understood. Um, The first is, as we said, sort of some chunk of UFO, UAP sightings are the U.S. government's own secret projects and technologies. The second category of the cover-up is what you mentioned, which is it's adversarial technology being tested against the United States. These are... Chinese drones, Russian drones, Iranian drones, you know, maybe some weird stuff that Tony Stark is building in a mountain laboratory somewhere that the U.S. government doesn't know about. I hope so. Um, And that uh, the government is incredibly protective of what its sensors pick up. And we know that some chunk of it is this type of technology because one of the few things that the Pentagon has said since it sort of restarted its UAP program um, in the wake of those 2017 stories is that it has uncovered at least one heretofore unknown transmedium Chinese drone, which is to say a drone that comes out of the water and transitions to flight, which was a technical capability that the U.S. did not understand existed um, until it sort of uncovered this UAP sighting and was able to sort of figure out what it was. Now, now we get though to the core of what I think is at the heart of the UFO cover-up by the U.S. government, which is, I don't think that the U.S. government knows what these things actually are. You know, I think that John Brennan's quote is real, which is, there's some stuff out there. It really puzzles us and we don't really understand what it could be. And that that that's actually a really hard answer for a bureaucracy to give. Ah, And that to me is sort of the cover up, which is the U.S. government (laughs) doesn't want to tell us that it doesn't know what these things are. Um, Do you think it's fair to say that the government took UFOs seriously for a time, then kind of painted anyone who was a believer or, you know, um, as a crank, you know, and is now suddenly focused on it again. What's that arc? What has that arc been like over the decades? Um, And and this is where you really have the echoes of the Cold War. Um, So the modern flying saucer age starts in the summer of 1947. This is an incredibly important and tense moment in the Cold War. Um, You know, we're just beginning to outline the conflict that is about to become, you know, the sort of dominating geopolitical force for the next half century. Um, The U.S. military is in this incredible moment of transition. 
1947 is when you have the National Security Act of 1947, and it breaks off the Air Force as its own separate branch of the military, which until then, of course, was actually still part of the army and had been you know, part of the army through the totality of World War II. And so right as the Air Force is being created, there is this public phenomenon of flying saucers. And it starts with this Idaho businessman named Kenneth Arnold, who spots the first flying saucers flying over the, the Cascade Mountains in the Pacific Northwest while he is piloting his own plane um, around Mount Rainier. And he lands and reports these things flying at tremendous speeds. And over the course of the rest of that summer, there are flying saucers reported all over the United States. More than 34 states um, report flying saucers. Some, some of them are photographed. You know, it becomes front page news sort of day after day that summer. And the U.S. government has no idea what these things are. And the Air Force is panicking. The FBI is pulled in. And what they are particularly panicked about is that these are secret Soviet spacecraft being built and flown uh, with the help of kidnapped Nazi rocket scientists. And so the U.S. government doesn't start out thinking that these are aliens or extraterrestrials. It starts out thinking that these are secret Soviet craft being built by kidnapped Nazi rocket scientists. Then, once they determine they are not secret Soviet craft, the U.S. government sort of loses interest. And the, the sort of UFO program that gets spun up Project Sign, Project Grudge, Project Blue Book, sort of bumps along for the next 20 years uh, pretty inconclusively. It sort of solves some chunk of these sightings, you know, Venus, U2, without ever finding answers to the core of what that chunk of uh, unknown UFO sightings actually is. So what are those things? Yeah. So I think it ends up being a pie chart of four pieces. One chunk of it is atmospheric, meteorological, and atmospheric phenomenon that we don't actually understand. Um, you know, I think we need to be humble about what we know and what we don't know there. Some chunk of it in, in a second category is exactly as we've discussed, adversary advanced technology being tested against us. The third category is what you ended up with the Chinese spy balloon in February uh, this year, which is there's just a bunch of weird stuff floating around in the sky that we're not paying attention to on a day-to-day -day basis. Then you get to the weird stuff. So this is the fourth category. And this to me is the place where we need to be sort of most humble about our understanding of the universe, which is, I think that, that, that there is going to be a very weird answer to a big chunk of UFO and UAP sightings. A weird answer. And it's going to come from physics that we don't yet understand. Right. It's going to be something really weird, like 
wormholes, you know, parallel dimensions, time travel, like things that interstellar shit that we can't even contemplate right now, because when you think about it, everything we know about relativity and quantum physics, we have understood in a single human lifetime. That was one of my big takeaways from your book, the the idea that so much of this science is still so new, and thus there's so much more we still don't know. Yeah, you you think about, you know, what we're going to learn in the next 100 years, what we're going to learn in the next 500 years, what we might learn in the next thousand or 10,000 or million years if human civilization actually manages to last that long. Um, And this is where you know, you sort of bump up against some of these really interesting questions about what advanced civilizations elsewhere could look like. You know, we're likely to be encountering civilizations that are millions or tens of millions of years more advanced than we are. And that, you know, this is going to be more like going back to a caveman with an iPhone than, you know, us sort of looking at someone and being like, oh, you have a faster spaceship. Um, That this is going to be, you know, anything we encounter uh, from another civilization is probably going to feel to us something that looks more like what we now attribute to the powers of God. And it raises a question. Maybe we don't want to know. Maybe we don't want to meet them. Maybe we're better off not. Or do we even know if they're here? Um, You know, one of the things that, um, you know, when you begin to sort of look and think about the physics of some of this, you know, the chances, if you're, if you are a truly advanced civilization and you are building spacecraft that travel at, you know, any sort of measurable fraction of the speed of light, which is basically the only way that you are ever going to be covering any meaningful chunk of the universe. You're doing it with something that's pretty small, moving pretty quickly. And that these things could be passing us all the time right now. And we don't have the technology to, uh, uh, to identify something that small, that fast. Wow. Is, is that why one of the recent whistleblowers who came forward and, and gained a lot of news coverage, he talked about so-called biologics being recovered. It's an interesting word, biologics, right? Because again, it's not the way you think about, uh, you know, a spaceship in the sky. Yeah. Um, so the, the whistleblower who came forward this summer, um, I, I think that there are a lot of reasons to doubt major parts of his claims and testimony. One of the things that you see very consistently is, you know, that these are usually people coming forward, not with firsthand knowledge, but with sort of, I have been told or a friend, you know, who saw the thing told me. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's actually a, a word for it in ufology um, that the, they're called folk tales, not folk tales, but folk tales, friend of a friend tales. Mm. The, you know, one of the sort of things that like the news media made a big deal about this summer 
the U.S. government has a UFO crash retrieval project. Um, it, yes, uh, we know it does. It's had it for almost 100 years. It's a team of people who work at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. And its job is to go around and pick up things that we're interested in when they crash. During the Cold War, this team, you know, like ran around the world picking up, you know, Soviet MiGs when they went down uh, or, you know, defectors landed them, uh, you know, at friendly airfields. Um, And, you know, that's what their job is, is they go around and they collect UFOs when they crash and try to figure out what they are. And so, you know, right now, I would bet I have no particular classified knowledge of this, but like a big part of their job is running around the world and picking up, you know, crashed Chinese drones and Russian drones and Iranian drones, um, you know, North Korean drones. Yes, I am sure that in that pile of stuff in whatever warehouse, um, you know, all of that stuff lives, whether it's in Dayton, Ohio or Area 51 or, or wherever, there's some stuff that we don't know what it is, you know, that is a crashed UFO. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that we have a recovered extraterrestrial spacecraft. All right, Garrett, let me fit in a quick break. I want to ask you about conspiracy thinking, conspiracy theory, culture, and how that relates to UFOs in just a moment. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. I'm Brian Stelter speaking with Garrett Graff. And as listeners of this podcast know, I'm out with a new book called Network of Lies, all about Fox and Dominion and Donald Trump. Uh, Garrett, you and I came out on the same day, November 14th. Uh, I was a little intimidated to be publishing the same day as you because I'm such a fan of your books over the years. But here we are. We're out on the same week. Congratulations to you. And there is a kind of connectivity between your work on UFOs and mine on Fox. <laughs> where, where do you think these books intersect? sect. <laughs> yeah. You know, the second half of my book, it is really the story of the collapse of public trust and truth in government and institutions. And what you see in the late 70s and 80s is this rise of uh, you know, these much darker UFO conspiracy theories that, you know, the government is hiding something that it, it, in many ways, I think actually the deep state is born in UFO conspiracy theories. And that totally. I think one of the things that people don't really understand and where sort of our two books like intersect in the same like comic cinematic universe is that you don't get January 6th without UFO conspiracy theories. And you see it actually in one very specific person. 
um, this, uh, this, uh, talk radio host, um, in, in my book who, um, you know, becomes sort of a, a major figure in, in your world too, Brian, Bill Cooper, who comes out in the 1980s, says he's a former Naval intelligence officer and that the government is sort of covering up this grand UFO conspiracy theory. To present the people of the world with an external threat to this earth, a superior race from some of the planet, vastly superior to us in intellect, philosophy, and technology, in order to cause the dissolution of nation states, the dissolution of all existing religions, and the formation of the world totalitarian socialist government. NASA is one of the main instruments of this deception. He he becomes one of those sort of major figures in UFO conspiracy land, um, becomes one of the sort of defining uh, figures of far right talk radio in the 1990s and becomes the inspiration and mentor to a Austin public access uh, host named Alex Jones. And Alex Jones sort of models his early talk radio world on Bill Cooper's sort of view of the world. And I just, I don't think you end up where we are in the sort of public debate over trust and truth and, and trust in, in the government and institutions and conspiracy theories without the foundation of that sort of dark conspiratorial worldview laid by the UFO world in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, this creation of a completely alternative universe, right? A mirror world, yep. as, as Naomi Klein called it on this podcast a couple weeks ago. It's this whole other world uh, of thinking. So of all the UFO stories you heard, all that you read, all that you watched, what's the one that you couldn't stop thinking about? What does it reveal? 1964, Socorro, New Mexico a local police officer named Lonnie Zamora. He is chasing a speeder, in the outskirts of town looks off into the desert and sees what he thinks is a overturned car in a ditch, turns off the road, starts driving towards it. You know, it's a bumpy thing. So he's sort of coming up and down, you know, through the bumps, this thing is coming in and out of view. It's white. He sees two figures standing next to it not sort of full grown human size, but, um, you know, sort of maybe like large children, you know, small teenager size. As he gets closer, they get into the craft and the craft flies away. Now something happened to Lonnie Zamora that day. We know this because there's some physical evidence uh, of some craft, that appeared to be in the desert where he said it was. And there was there were others who arrived on the scene just a few moments later. There was a, a New Mexico state trooper who shows up just a few minutes later. Lonnie Zamora is shaken and upset by whatever this encounter actually is. And 50, 60 years later, we don't have any idea what happened to Lonnie Zamora. There is no sign of the craft that he says that he saw the sort of simplest possible explanation. This is the heart of the space race. 
Um, he's near the White Sands Proving Grounds, a major military installation there. But we've never seen evidence of a U.S. government project that looks like the thing that Lonnie Zamora says that he saw. And to me, Zamora, and there are sort of other encounters like him, uh, you know, over the course of these decades, are the most compelling witnesses because they are people who sort of lead totally ordinary lives, have no apparent reason to make up a story like this, and then go on about the rest of their life. There's good evidence something happened to Lonnie Zamora. There's no real reason to doubt his story. And the dude just sort of goes on and leads the rest of his life totally normally and just sort of has this one, you know, out of this world type experience. Um, and so to me, like those are the stories that I find most compelling and, and sort of lead me to be most interested in, you know, solving whatever this mystery actually ends up being. And that story is page 190 of this incredible book, UFO. Garrett Graff, thank you so much for the conversation. What a blast talking to you, Brian, as always. And the book title, once again, is UFO, the inside story of the U.S. government's search for alien life here and out there. I do think it pairs perfectly with Network of Lies, if I if I may say so. All right, this episode of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair is produced by Michael May. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer. Our engineer is Gabe Caroga. Mixing is by Bob Mallory. And I'm Brian Stelter. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Twitter and threads at Brian Stelter and email me anytime at bstelter at gmail.com. We'll be back soon with more Inside the Hive. You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.